hello and welcome back. You're listening to another incredible episode of Inside Soccer with your host, Bill Peterson. Inside Soccer brings you the soccer fan, expert analysis and opinion on the critical issues facing the game today. Bill will also bring you guests that have incredible stories and historical perspectives on the game. With soccer experience spanning 20 years, the Rolodex is open to bring you the voices and opinions you want. Sit back and wherever you are in the world, enjoy today's episode. Welcome Inside Soccer listeners from around the globe to Inside Soccer episode 12. There's never been a better time to get inside our sport, soccer. So much going on across the globe that affects our little world. And that's what we're focused on like no other podcast. Today, we continue our tradition of bringing you the best in the sport. We've turned our attention this week to our own domestic league, NWSL. That's right, the U.S. Domestic League, featuring many of the best women's players in the world. The NWSL is the premier women's league in the world, and personally, I would consider it to be a Champions League, if you will, of women's soccer. So uh, it's uh, very competitive, uh, the best players, and uh, we're going to learn more and more about it as we go through uh, this podcast. So many great stories to get inside of here. Uh, maybe the biggest being that they're actually playing a competition, the first and only ball sport, playing meaningful games uh, when they started, and, uh, and, and much more to cover. So um, maybe the second biggest story of the league is the addition of Commissioner Lisa Baird, a very successful sports executive who already has made a huge difference in the shape, look, and feel of NWSL. Uh, today we're honored to have our first acting commissioner uh, on Inside Soccer, Commissioner Baird, welcome, and uh, we're honored to have you here today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And in addition to being, uh, you know, kind of having done my rounds in sports, I'm actually a big podcast aficionado, having worked in the as at a top to a top eight publisher of podcasts. So. It's a great medium for me. I'm glad you waited to tell me that because now I feel pressure. I feel, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a rank amateur here on episode 12. So afterwards, uh, maybe you can download and tell us what we can do better. That's for sure. Um, okay. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. And first of all, congratulations on being the first league back onto a field. Uh, it's been a tremendous competition so far. The NWSL Challenge Cup has put the league on a pedestal by itself. Uh, which I think it deserves. And uh, your Challenge Cup to me is maybe the biggest sporting accomplishment and the biggest sporting story this year. Take us through the thinking and how you decided to move forward as the first league to open up. Well, um, you know, what it came down to was, um, like all other leagues, um, uh, we canceled our preseason on on March 12th. I think the the sport industry shut down that day. uh, so from then on, it was kind of trying to figure out if someone had a playbook and then we realized no league had a playbook. So we wrote our own, it was guided by principle. Um, and, um, you know, the principles really drove the selection of the tournament format. It drove our business objectives. It drove the support and conversations and collaboration um, in terms of agreement we had with the PA, our NWSL PA. And ultimately, it, it drove kind of what you're seeing um, on the field today with medical protocols, um, operations protocols, um, broadcast. Um, so 
it just started it in an area of like writing your own playbook and, and establishing the playbook on principles, not on tactics. Well, congratulations on that. How, how did the players react to the idea of coming back and was being first uh, a positive or something that caused any uh, uh, concern with the players? Um, I don't think the players were concerned about being first. I think they were concerned as well. They should have been. Do we have the medical protocols in phase, uh, in place? How is the tournament going to be done? It was far more driven by that rather than the players wanting to be first. Um, I think the first is a nice outcome and we've been trying to use it to our advantage, um, to kind of get, use the spotlight to show what we think is, you know, some of the best soccer, um, uh, you know, available today, um, and also to shine the light on women's sports, which have been traditionally underrepresented in the media. They, they have been, and here's a chance to watch some of the best soccer players in the world in a great tournament with a with a easy way to consume it from broadcast. And you know, that's what we're gonna. That's why we're taking advantage of being number one. Yeah, for sure. And I do think you have uh, captured a lot of attention that, that sometimes uh, you deserve and don't get. But uh, being first out uh, and actually playing meaningful games has, has meant a lot as far as uh, I can see, you know, in the streets, if you will. So uh, congratulations on that. Let's step back just a second. You've accomplished uh, a lot in your career, and I suppose you could have picked any organization to work for. Uh, share with our listeners some of your background and, more importantly, why you chose to come to NWSL. Well, I think, you know, it's with every um, job decision, you know, I've made, which is, look, is the outlook, um, is, is there a way that I can make uh, a contribution? And I say that humbly because, you know, look, this is a small league, it's a growing league, and could there be a contribution that me as the commissioner would make? And I think, having the opportunity to meet all the owners and share a vision of what I thought was exciting about it is clearly, um, you know, kind of, it really cemented that for me in some ways it's a dream job for me pandemic aside, because, you know, the fact is we're small, we're growing, we have a great product. We have a, an enormously exciting global landscape in front of us in um, the U S so all those components were there and then the pandemic hit and sometimes um, kind of crises or, or, you know, unexpected things can turn into a silver line opportunity. And, and that is to kind of demonstrate to the world how great our product is and how great our players are. That's been the unintended consequence of the pandemic is I think, you know, worldwide people are rooting for sports to come back. They're rooting for women's sports, you know, in particular, they're rooting for these athletes, particularly the national team members from all the countries that didn't have a chance to play in the Olympics. And, and I think we're seeing that by a level of, you know, coverage and engagement that we haven't had before. But again, it's nowhere near what women's sports deserve, I think, for being, you know, great, great live competition to watch. And, and specifically, and we're going to talk a little bit about your accomplishments already next, but specifically, what did you see as quick opportunities before the pandemic, if you will, um, to, to, to change the uh, course of the league? 
Well, I think taking advantage of the unique asset we have, which is, you know, having players. I think we have something like over 50 players from national teams. So they're playing in our league because they're getting the development, the training and the support they're, they're making that choice. But then they also go and play in highly visible global competitions, CONCACAF and others. Um, and certainly the women's world cup. So having that is a really great asset as long as you can manage it well. Um, uh, which is, you know, it's definitely more complicated competition schedule to manage. So that's important. I think having a growth opportunity in the U.S., I think we're in, you know, some of the greatest soccer soccer markets in the U.S. Um, right now. And you can look at, you know, they're not necessarily all the largest market. I think Portland, for example, is in a phenomenal soccer market. We have an avid, engaged fan base. And um, that's really important. Um, but we, we also are developing that in larger markets like Chicago with the Red Stars, everything that they've been doing since they've come along. And we're excited about new markets to our portfolio. There does seem to be a lot of excitement in Louisville, that's for sure, last uh, 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, that brand launch was incredible. And I, I couldn't, I mean, I was just on the phone with the, with the um, Louisville president, Brad Estes, this morning, and I went, Wow, the level of coverage that we got for the Louisville brand launch was extraordinary. And, um, you know, I think it goes to this pent up appetite for, okay, this is a great product. These are great athletes. Let me consume it just like any other sport. But the fact is, we've got to get the coverage in mainstream media up. Yeah. And that's partially on me and other commissioners in women's sport. And it's also on the broadcasters and the media themselves. To, to ask themselves the question, why aren't they covering this? Well, you sort of asked that uh, a, a week or two ago, and I thought it was a great question, a great time. I, I don't I don't know if you got the, the answer uh, you should have, but, uh, you know, when they started uh, collecting the men's sports to talk about what they were going to do, it seemed a little odd that uh, with you guys teed up, ready to go, and the position you're in that you weren't invited. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay out of that a little bit. Let's yeah. – uh, Let's move on a second to uh, what you have been able to accomplish, which is extraordinary, really. Uh, during a pandemic, you've added A-list sponsors and broadcast partners to the league. I mean, how, how do you do that? Well, you know, I think the, the, I think the advantage I've always used in commercial is to try and think of our property and our athletes how do we help them and and I know I know you know when you go in and if you're a really big league and you've got a really you know already sizable audience um it's it's easier in some ways because you can say look here's what you'll do for me if you come in like and I see a lot of people saying oh here's what you do for me. but I have to be smarter and and more um ambitious than that and say how can I help you achieve your business objectives so understanding, you know, P&G and their desire to reach women, their desire to portray a company that values diversity and inclusion, but also reach a scale audience. They're, they sell, they're a big global advertiser because their products are in every home in the world, I think. So how do I help them do that? That's a business objective. Same thing with Verizon. How are we going to help them extend what they need to do as a, you know, as the premier communications company in the United States, Budweiser, how do we help them achieve their objectives? So I think it's really 
asking yourself and pushing yourself to do that. That's the secret of what we need to do to get premier partners. With CBS and Twitch, I think it's somewhat easier because I think both of them realize the opportunity with women's soccer. They saw, you know, what happened last year with Women's World Cup and the momentum that was built then. So in some ways it's easier and now it's delivering on the whole proposition with them. So it's really executing right now. And I think our our coverage in the U.S. and in Canada with CBS has been great. But I also think, and we'll tell this story, how the international audience is consuming our Twitch. Um, you know, particularly with the live post-game interviews, it's really exciting. That's fantastic. And I, and I love the approach. And, and I only speak for the American players, but that is a group of athletes, professionals, that you really do trust. I mean, it, it, oh, if, yeah. if they show up on, on, on camera, one, they're winners. Uh, so, you know, they're winners. Uh, and they've just, uh, they've just always uh, handled themselves so well. And uh, it's exciting for someone like myself. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners to also think about, you know, all of the hundreds of players that are being developed underneath that group uh, because of this league and because of the, comp- uh, the competitive level of the league. Uh, it really it really bodes itself for some spectacular soccer over the next decade or so. Yep, I think it does. I mean, you know, the more of the best global players we can attract, the better off we are. Yep. Okay, so the elephant in the room is the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I think we've publicly seen some of uh, how your plans uh, in the short term have changed with your experience and being at the helm here, uh, what are you concerned about longer term that might affect the league or, or affect some of uh, your plans that are in place now? Well, I think like, you know, there's always a, a move in sports, which is what's next, what's next. So while you're working on this today, we're starting to look at, you know, kind of what do we do next? And that's not only in 2020, but 2021. And I think there is going to be an adjustment by every sport to how, do you put in place on a regular normal season the protocols that we need to do to protect um, player safety? Um, And that's going to go into 21. And until such time as there's a vaccine or a cure, and I certainly don't know what that is, how do you normalize operations? It's a really difficult question. It's just a difficult question. You know, different states are going to have different rules and guidelines and quarantines and you know, fans coming back and all that as we look at, you know, the longer term. Um, and and that's really, really, like, it's challenging to operate in that environment. It's challenging when you have international players coming into their league and they want to go home and there's travel restrictions. Those I don't think are going to go away in the short term. So how do we develop around that? Yeah, and, and, and younger leagues generally will focus a lot on uh, ticket sales, sometimes I think wrongfully, and the media will focus on it, and they're judging uh, success by how many people are in each and every stadium. But it is important, obviously, to have an audience, and we're facing a situation where leagues and teams on the men's side uh, and, and yourselves are playing without uh, fans in the stadium. How How does that affect your thinking i guess when you start wondering if this will continue how does that affect your thinking and the club's thinking from you know we're all about ticket sales uh you know ticket sales is one two and three and then you know we worry about sponsorship and then we worry about some other things now all of a sudden that's flipped a little bit it's going to be really important to deliver a great tv product i'm sure it's great to deliver on these new sponsors 
But uh, what what are you thinking personally, and what are you telling your teams they need to do to sort of rethink the uh, the short term and, and possibly longer term future? Well, you know, I think it's all learning and and experimenting with what's right. So there's two things that as we went into this tournament, knowing it was going to be in a bubble and knowing that we weren't, um, we didn't have the protocols yet for fans. Um, it was how do we make sure that our clubs are getting recognition for their local sponsors and take advantage of the, the national audience that we have. So we came up with a very innovative plan for the signage in the stadium. And one of the, one of the really great consequences of it is that our stadium doesn't look empty. You know, it doesn't look empty. It's not a hundred thousand seat stadium. We, we chose to stay small and play at science bank and the signage looks great on, on TV. So you can start to think of things in a different way um, then there will be, you know, there's going to be, you know, a, a, a forward time when you have stadiums, but they, they only allow fans that are safe distancing. Well, what does that do to both your on-site experience as well as your TV experience? So these are all things that everybody in sports is, is learning and, listen, and, and starting to wrap their minds around as a, a new way of, of normal. You know, things like even, you know, I'm watching what's happening in social media. Do people like the artificial crowd noise or do people not like it? And right now it's, you know, you have to do one or the other. Well, is there going to be um, ability going forward with broadcasters to turn it on or off based on your preference? You know, if I was if I was a big broadcaster, I'd be looking at something like that technologically through how they deliver their sports games because there's definitely a conversation about it. So I think we're all adjusting to this new kind of abnormal or new normal, whatever you want to call it. And um, I am doing, we're doing our own experiments with the secret virtual watch parties. I have to say I'm in stadium cause I'm in the bubble and I'm watching the teams, mm -hmm. but it just makes me feel better when I can look up on our big screen and see the secret virtual parties because it reminds me of the fans at home and without fans whether they're in stadium or at home there's no sports there are no sports without fans so like for me and i don't know if the players on the field are seeing the fans but just having those reactions even if they're virtual help so i think we're all going to learn about that and um, i'm following not only what we're doing but i'm also seeing what other people are doing um and and how they're transforming the broadcast so we'll learn that for our 21 season for sure. It's going to be a, uh, you know, we talked to Sky Blue uh, and, and, and some of their ownership earlier in the week, and, and you start thinking about how long this offseason is going to be. Well, make sure you talk to him today after their win last I sent him a note. I sent him a note. <laughs> he, he responded very early this morning, Mountain Time, and was uh, very excited, yes. so Yeah, he was up late last night. It yes. was a pretty exciting win yeah, for no, Sky Blue. It, it really was, because off to, off to Mike, we talked a bit a little bit, and uh, you know, he knew it was a big. He knew it was a big match, and he was uh, nervous. I'd say, and uh, the result came out his way this time. So uh, good for him. But uh, you know, we spoke about the off season being also something a little bit new and being so long, and trying to figure out how to engage. You know, the fans through this period of time that will almost be you know a continuous eighteen months minimum, I guess, of uh, time off. And he talked a lot about, you know, the front office really sort of redefining their roles and everybody from coaches and assistant coaches to, you know, 
PR and ticket sales, everybody now sort of outward facing, fan facing, and working on engagement uh, tactics and activities. Is that is that what you're what you're expecting to see across the league? Well, yes, I think that. Look, when you're small, you're scrappy and you're more creative and you're more, you know, you just you you worry about the details and you're really. Um, you know, you're really just excited about it. So I love to see all the different things our teams are doing um, to keep our brand, their teams, their athletes relevant. I think, you know, we have, we're really lucky in that we have a good competition committee um, that helps us make sure that the game and our version of the game and our rules and our regulations are advancing as we grow because we're growing, right? So we've got to invent new rules, um, Louisville coming in, and what do we do with our expansion job? Those are all the things that are ongoing now. So I, I love the fact that we have a small enough league where we can look across an innovation wave all the time and learn from each other. But I also know that, you know, at some point we've got to get to stability in terms of rules and regulations. But luckily for us, it's a, it's a few years away. But but solving the schedule and whether it should be longer and fill some of that is is a – I think it's a conversation we're having for next se- next season. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's something that has to be developed. Okay, so let's switch uh, our attention to the players. And I know, you know, you haven't been there uh, too long, but I know you've probably watched and followed games throughout the years. I mean, I I live in a house full of women, other than one dog, and uh, I think they've been to probably more women's World Cups and more women's matches than than I have. And uh, my youngest daughter has been playing soccer for a long time, uh, eight or nine years, I think. And um, so, you know, the, the women's game means something to us, I guess, is my point. And, and I really, as a person who's, you know, evaluated players in different sports and done different things, when I watch them, I'm always just uh, blown away with, one, how talented they are, I was uh, shocked early on yeah. to see how tough they are, and uh, you know, yeah. and, and they've just they've just always come together and got the the job done. What was your reaction coming in as commissioner and seeing them play for the first time? Uh, you know, it, it was like first of all, I was so worried because we were, you know, we had a, a short, we had a you know a shortened preseason because of COVID. They're coming in, they're, they're training at home, they're going to fly in. You know, we had all of the nervousness and apprehension of putting into place medical protocols. We, I think we had some of the best minds developing them with doctors, but let's face it, they were unproven. This wasn't something, so we had, so for the first week, I was far more um, concerned about health, safety, getting people acclimated. I think the players, now you can see them really, um, just developing into the game, getting in the rhythm. And, you know, I think we're starting to see the level of intensity, competitiveness pick up between teams and some prizes, some surprises along the way. So um, I think that's fun to watch. And um, I'm just, I'm excited to see what happens between right now. They know that seeds are important. They're playing for that seed, but I think the difference that we're going to see 
um, just in terms of the competitive intensity between the group play and the first round, the first quarterfinals is going to be really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And and did you feel they uh, reacted positively to to your hiring and, and you coming in and, and sharing your message with them? Um, look, I, I certainly felt they were open to it. I'm not a known entity in the soccer world. So I think if, you know, I can't say, you know, I don't think I felt anything negative, but people are like, okay, you know, let's see what she does. And I think that's a very fair assessment from the players. Um, I think the owners knew I had a strong commercial background, but, um, you know, can I impact the game of soccer? Will we be able to do things here to develop this into the best league in the world? Those are things that if I were a player, I'd be saying, okay, what's your investment long-term in the sport, in my development? That That's what I would look at. And I still think, look, please don't judge me by one tournament in a pandemic. Those are long-term <laughs> thoughtful um, things that we really need to get to. And myself and my operations team led by, you know, the incredibly capable Liz Dalton are, we're going to tackle that. So that that's really how I, I should be judged. Not on a not on a tournament, I hope. Yeah, but I well, do hope to get through it safely and well. Yeah, well, so far, knock on wood. Uh, I think that's a great perspective, but uh, you, you you would have my vote if I was sitting in the locker room. So uh, maybe I know a little bit more about what you've accomplished than than they do at this time, but they'll they'll soon know. So one of the questions in both the men's side and the women's side has always been, you know, about the player pool. And I know this is not uh, something you, you probably focused on in day one, especially this year, but is there a concern amongst your technical people or your owners that if we continue to expand, we could hurt the quality of the game because of the size or the, uh, the quality of the player pool? Well, look, that's why we have, you know what, that's why we have an incredible competition committee, um, which is that, like, if you look at committees in terms of league governance, having strong, disciplined committees in the right areas is really important. Arguably right now, because we are in growth, the competition committee, which has representatives right now from um, four teams plus Liz Dalton, that they are going to help us really wrestle with what's the right way to do that. And that goes to you know, expansion, what's the role of the draft? How do we um, continue to attract and retain global players? What's our, what's our access point for youth players? Those are all things where I need seasoned, um, very experienced executives, and I'm lucky to have them in the competition committee, which includes, you know, um, the president of OL Rain, Bill Predmore, um, Gavin Wilkinson, who's from Portland, um, Kurt Johnson from North Carolina, and Stephanie Lee from Utah. So, that's where those discussions are happening and and I couldn't be in better hands. Yeah, I uh I know a few of the people you just mentioned and it it just uh, it, it it brings a thought to my head that it, there really are a lot of talented people across this league oh, and and, and no people question. have a lot of uh experience and passion for it, isn't there? Yes, and I'm taking advantage of every single uh bit of that I lean very heavily on people with operations experience with knowledge of the game um, it's really lucky I'm lucky to have the diversity of ownership we have because I'm always asking questions of our owners with USL teams I'm asking questions of owners with MLS teams I I get on the phone regularly with Sophie Savage 
who's our lead owner from Olympic Lyonnais because there's there's things that we can learn from Europe. So those are that's the network that I want to build to be um, a, a much more well-rounded commissioner, and I'm leaning on them hard. That's great, and uh, it is. I think it's worth a quick note that you know it, it's it's nice. It's it's exciting to see the rest of the world starting to develop women's soccer. I'm sure you know that creates a, a little bit of competition for players at some point but i think overall you're going to see more attention more dollars more quality play i mean i lived in europe for 10 years and if you mentioned women's soccer in the 90s you got a chuckle you could you could just about guarantee it and now you know the top clubs uh starting to commit to those uh, women's programs and and more and more uh women getting a chance to play that's that's got to be good for everyone Oh, it is. It is. And I'm, you know, me being able to access FIFA's put together like an informal council of the professional women's leagues. And, and I think that that's going to be a great um, peer group for me through FIFA, because I want to talk to those professional women's leagues. And we just had our first meeting a couple of weeks ago and we're already sharing things, sharing a lot of um uh, sharing a lot of ideas and we'll be sharing data and stuff because we all are committed to taking the women's game to the next level. Fantastic. Look, two more questions. Uh, we asked these of, of everyone. Uh, what do you, what does or will NWSL do better than others in your mind once you get through pandemic time? Um, well, I think, you know, look, there's no doubt that the NWSL can benefit from the fact that the United States is a very mature and sophisticated sports market. Um, we'll, we'll take advantage of that. So there, it's just an enormously big market. And what we want to do, I think what we'll do is, you know, I want to go in and, and talk to commercial partners, whether they're broadcasters or um promotional partners or sponsors about how NWSL is additive to your sports portfolio. How do we add to it? And I think that's, and that's something that we can take advantage of. Um, you know, number two is, and I've said it again, but um, I want to be the best league in the world. And you know what? I think we're well on our way there. Um, and that's, you know, friendly talk with all the rest of, the rest of the um, heads of the leagues in Europe. Um, but I've got to do a job to continue to support the development of women's professional soccer, like, you know, around high performance, nutrition. How do we manage the holistic health and career of a player? How do we provide, how do we work with owners to provide incredible facilities? I mean, one of the things that's really nice for us right here is you're getting an inside view watching the broadcasts of the facilities Deloitte Hansen has built for the Utah Royals in Salt Lake City with Academy. Yeah, I mean, they're phenomenal. First they're, class. We're, they're hosting, we're hosting a whole tournament here, and, and it's one of our owners. Like, wow, what a great ad for a league, right? This is one of our owners, and we are able to host an entire tournament here well. Like that's the kind of um, message that I want to people around the world that are watching what's going on right now. Yeah, that's a great message. And it's, uh, you know, sharing those investments by the owners is, uh, it will just continue to snowball. I mean, it's like when, when the, the male sports went to free agency and everybody had to start really building facilities 
you know, it helps everything. It helps everything from player development to recruiting of players to kids dreaming of, you know, I want to, I want to be there. I want to, I want to practice at that facility or go to that Academy or play for that team uh, in Utah, whatever it may be. So those are all, those are all uh, very much positives and, you know, you have to appreciate the the investment they make. So final question, uh, is there anything we haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our listeners or feel that uh, we should, we should add to the list? Yeah, no, I'd love to hear feedback if you can. So it's not so much that I'd love to add. It's just like, make sure your listeners are sending you and, and you got back to us. I'm, we're also, this is a dialogue, so it's not just me talking. I want to hear back from listeners and fans. You know, what, what do I need to be focused on to um, build um, the excitement for the game, the passion, and the coverage? So anything that you can tell me would be, I, you have a commissioner with open ears. Absolutely. We'll do that. Um, Lisa, thank you very much. I I think the future is very bright for NWSL. Even under these trying conditions, the, uh, the focus and the effort uh, on the field and off the field is, is really uh, exciting to watch and something I think we should all be very proud of and fortunate that we have this league in our country. And I, uh, I urge everyone to support it uh, best they can. Uh, I know our listeners will be following and watching closely, and we wish you a lot of success. And again, during a very, very busy time, we do appreciate your time, Commissioner, for uh, joining us today. And uh, we look forward to, to talking to you again sometime down the future. Okay, thanks so much. Take care. All right, thank you. And inside Fokker, soccer fans, that's uh, 12 episodes, but we're not done yet. Be sure to catch all the past episodes, which can be found on most podcast platforms or www inside topsports.com and until next time everyone take care thank you